0: I'm Alex Wong, and the Wong Takes start now. What's happening? This is the Wong Takes. It is the 10th episode. Who would have known we'd get to here, but we are. Programming note, we've kind of been hitting a groove going on maybe Monday or Tuesday as the posting date, excuse me. And it looks like for football season to accompany Monday Night Football and all the joy that comes with that, we're going to be looking at a Tuesday, Wednesday, Tuesday or Wednesday podcast during football season. With that out of the way, let's get going. First topic of the day, the U.S. Open wrapped up play a few days ago. We're going to actually start with the women's side. Sloane Stevens won the women's singles title. An American, she defeated Madison Keyes, 6-3, 6-love. And this is probably an intro to her for some of the casual fans, because a lot of Americans have gotten to know maybe Madison Keyes or Coco Vandaway, or obviously the uh, Williams sisters, Venus and Serena. But Sloane Stevens is, even though she is one of the older, young ones, she's still a relative newbie as far as the rankings go. She hasn't, She's not ranked. She's recently come up into the top 100, but she's not really a humongous name until now. And this is pretty cool that there were four women in the, or four American women in the women's semifinals. So all four slots were taken by Americans. And this is even my, keep in mind, this is even without Serena Williams, who, congratulations to her, recently had a baby girl with her fiance. But she's been out of the game for about eight months or so. And even without her, in the U.S. Open, one of the major tournaments of the tennis calendar, a bunch of young American stars came in and they took those semifinal spots. Venus Williams, who's obviously older, she was one of them. Sloane Stephens, who won, is only 24 years old. Madison Keys, who faced her in the finals, only 22 years old. And the other semifinalist, Coco Vandeweghe, is only 25 years old. So you have young American tennis talent. And without the American star power in the men's draw, maybe more Americans will be drawn to tennis by the young, charismatic females who are taking over the tennis circuit for the U.S. And I would, would not be surprised if they continue to win and maybe Venus will get another major. Madison Keys is only 22 and she looked dominant up until this final. So maybe she can take home a major in the near future, maybe even next year, but we will see. And on the men's side, Rafael Nadal won the men's singles title. He's obviously a very decorated man. This is his third U.S. Open title. He won over Kevin Anderson from South Africa, 6-3, 6-3, 6-3 6-4. And he wasn't broken during the entire match, so that shows the dominance he displayed. And he's 31, but he hasn't shown any signs of slowing down. He dominated an opponent he was supposed to beat, and he just handled business here at the U.S. Open despite not facing a top 20 opponent, but nonetheless, you've got to play, what is it, seven matches and not lose a match. And he did that. So with Roger Federer getting knocked out in the semifinal by, or in the quarterfinal, excuse me, and Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic had to pull out from injury, this was Rafael Nadal's chance to take home a major without breaking too much of a sweat and I think he managed to do that, especially in the final, going and winning in straight sets. Our next topic is a follow up, been doing a lot of those lately, of the Ezekiel Elliott suspension. He was originally suspended six games for domestic violence by the NFL, obviously a very serious issue, he probably deserved it. But that suspension has been delayed. U.S. District Judge Amos Mazant granted the NFLPA, NFL Players Association, request for a temporary restraining order as the judge said that Ezekiel Elliott's hearing was not, quote, fundamentally fair, end quote. So what that means is that Ezekiel Elliott will probably get to play the entire season for the Dallas Cowboys, making them the clear favorites to win the NFC East as the Eagles and the Redskins, neither of them look particularly great. The Redskins, particularly Kirk Cousins, looked pretty shaky yesterday. And the Giants got destroyed by the Cowboys on Sunday Night Football 19-3. to And this means that the Dallas Cowboys, barring the suspension coming back from the dead, couldn't make a title run this year as the NFC isn't particularly deep. You've got the uh, main people like Aaron Rodgers, Russell Wilson... But neither of them looked particularly sharp on Sunday. And the Saints, with their high-powered offense, looked terrible against the Vikings. So you've got the Cowboys, who could really make a shot, have a shot this year after going 13-3 and last year and losing in the playoffs. Dak looks good. Zeke looks good. Honestly, they could, they could do it. And the opponent in the AFC, the main opponent in the AFC, the New England Patriots, they lost week one on Thursday night to the Kansas City Chiefs. Their defense just couldn't hold up. So this is this league is wide open right now. And as far as Elliot's hearing, this is a continuation of the animosity, the ongoing animosity between the NFL and the NFL Players Association. If you remember there was Deflate Gate a few years back where it was in twenty fifteen. Seems like it was just recently, but it was all the way back then that the game where The footballs were deflated, and the suspension was put off for a year, and then Tom Brady's was suspended to start last year, and there was just the whole bonanza, and it's happening again. So it wouldn't be surprised if we get a situation similar to that where Ezekiel Elliott is suspended to start next year after an exhausting process where everyone just wants to give up. And at this point, the relationship between the NFL and the Players Association is kind of like politics. I mean, neither side wants to concede anything to the other side it's like if you do this it's by default bad and if the other side does something it's by default bad for us and so they're just trying to fight each other and this could lead to a strike when the new collective bargaining agreement comes up in 2021 or it could lead to an early strike with all the football declining in ratings and concussions and protests and suspensions this doesn't look good for either side coming out of it but hey, after all that talk about the bad of football, the NFL is back and week 1 was this week and uh, it was so exciting. Some big scores from the weekend. The Chiefs defeated the Patriots as I mentioned on Thursday night football 42 to 27. This was a shock to many people, particularly in Foxborough, after the Patriots actually took a lead going into the fourth quarter or go or at at one point in the fourth quarter they had a lead and the last two, though, just keep in mind, the last two times the Patriots lost week one, they ended up winning the Super Bowl. So the season is by no extent over for the Patriots, though this is a significant setback, losing a home game to a conference opponent. And we saw here that the Chiefs are really for real. They have emerging stars in Kareem Hunt, the running back who put over 40 fantasy points this last week. As you can tell, I'm pretty into fantasy. And Tyreek Hill had a good game, scoring a few touchdowns and really showing off his speed that we started to see develop last year, but he's really going to be a force for them because they don't have too many other weapons on the perimeter, the Chiefs don't. And then you got Alex Smith, the mainstay, who's been the quarterback there for a few years now after coming over from San Francisco, and he's just kind of Mr. Reliable. They call him a game manager almost as a bad thing, but the truth is he can really string together plays and... He won't make costly turnovers that are going to hurt your team's chances to win. Now, this may have been a fluke from the Seahawks, or from the Chiefs, sorry, as far as defeating the Patriots this one time, as the Patriots receivers weren't able to do what they need to do and get open and score. But the Chiefs are really going to be a force in the AFC this year. Also, a big matchup in Week 1 that I'm sure a lot of people were circling on their calendar a matchup between two of the best teams in the a- NFC. The Packers defeated the Seattle Seahawks in Green Bay 17-9. to And this was a pretty close game throughout, even into the fourth quarter. The Packers actually had 74 plays, and the Seahawks only had 48 plays. And the Packers had the ball for twice as long as the Seahawks did. So when you control possession like that, you dominate the game. You're not able to let the Seahawks' offense get momentum. You're not able to let the Seahawks' defense get off the field. Whereas, even for as good of a defense as they had have, have, with the Legion of Boom, of course, and they added Richardson over the offseason, even with a defense that good, if they're on the field for that long, eventually you're going to score some points. And the Packers got contributions from sources that people might not have thought of previously, like Ty Montgomery. So this was a good team win for the Packers, And the Seahawks only had 225 total yards. They also stifled the Seahawks offense. Jimmy Graham didn't have a good day. So it's going to be interesting to see if the Seahawks can overcome this and get their offense flowing and get back to the Russell Wilson that looked unbeatable when he was on a roll where he can throw pinpoint passes. And even if your secondary is doing its job, he can scramble and get 10 yards. We will see. It's just we've won, no overreactions, but this is what this industry is, overreaction. And also, Sunday Night Football, Cowboys 19, Giants 3. The Giants were the Cowboys kryptonite last year. They actually beat them twice in that 13-3 campaign, which is pretty shocking, especially with a division opponent. It's good to defeat your division rivals. And another storyline from this game is actually that Jason Witten broke the franchise record for most receiving yards by a Cowboy passing Michael Irvin. So Jason Witten kind of flies under the radar as a tight end. I mean, it's hard to fly under the radar when you get this many yards, but compared to big guys like Tony Gonzalez, who retired a few years ago, or Jimmy Graham, you don't realize that Jason Winton's just kind of been back there doing his thing for years and, years and years and years and scoring touchdowns and catching passes, but he did, and that's a pretty amazing accomplishment, especially in a storied franchise like the Cowboys. Now back to the game. Ezekiel Elliott... At 140 total yards and no touchdowns, maybe that's worth something to fantasy owners. But also that shows that even with or with Zeke back, they're gonna be giving him a lot of touches and a lot of chances to break one loose. And part of the game for the Cowboys was that they had no turnovers. So they their defense was pretty good and they didn't let the Giants make any big runs and they didn't force any or they didn't commit any turnovers. So that's winning formula. Okay, now our college football wrap up for week two. So glad to be back. Number eight Michigan beat Cincinnati thirty-six to fourteen. Number nine Wisconsin beat Lane Kiffin's Florida Atlantic University thirty-one to fourteen. Alabama crushed Fresno State forty-one to fourteen. Penn State number four beat their in-state rival Pitt thirty-three to fourteen. Number three Clemson beat number thirteen Auburn fourteen to six. That was a fun one. Number seven Montana beat Washington, or number seven Washington, excuse me, beat Montana sixty-three to seven in the Pac-12, and a few other games that I'm gonna call statement games. Like there, was, for various reasons, these games were a team making a statement to another team. We're gonna start with number fifteen Georgia beating number twenty-four Notre Dame in South Bend, twenty to nineteen, and this sounds weird maybe because. This is Georgia's second game above the Mason-Dixon line since 1965. The only other game since then where they played above the line that separates Maryland from Delaware from Pennsylvania is when they went up to Boulder, Colorado in 2010, and that's like barely above the line. But essentially, they don't really go up north that much. They're kind of like Florida. They really just kind of stay in their conference. They stay in the southeast part of the country. To play most of their football games, so this was a big non-conference test. Although Notre Dame is not in anyone's conference, being an independent, but nonetheless, Georgia proved that they can play with big boys outside of the SEC that they're familiar with, and they can go and beat a quality team in a tough road environment. Although there were a lot of Georgia fans at that game, another marquee matchup that I purposely glossed over was number five Oklahoma beating number two Ohio State thirty-one to sixteen. In Columbus, so on the road for Oklahoma. Now, this was a big road win for Oklahoma and also by extension the Big 12 because the Big 12 has kind of been known as the conference of the country where you just kind of chuck the ball around and try to outscore the other team. Defense hasn't really a big been a big thing because you get scores like 70 to 63 or teams going into quadruple overtime with the scores being in the 80s. So this is a big win for Oklahoma. And this shows that they have a defense that can match up with the other teams in the country because they really stifled JT Barrett and the rest of that Ohio State offense. And they really showed up in the fourth quarter, too. So they're clutch, and Baker Mayfield is a, definitely a Heisman candidate. And even the loss of Samaj Ryan didn't hurt their game enough that they're going to lose to the number two ranked team in the country. And the number two might have been a little misleading because Alabama's kind of way up there, like way above the rest as they defeated number three Florida State in a blowout in opening week. But still, defeating the number two team in the country is no small task. And finally, in Pac-12, not quite after dark, number six USC beat number 14 Stanford 42-24. to This was one of the big games of the weekend. And this proves that even though they stayed within their own conference, the University of Southern California is a legit title contender this year, or especially a playoff contender. So they've actually, I believe, won 11 straight games dating back to last season and the really fun Rose Bowl that they won last bowl season. And they'll take on Texas next week in another test. Tom Herman's squad beat San Jose State last week, so they're 1-1 one one after losing to Maryland in Week 1. And this is going to be the first time they've faced off, actually, since the 2006 Rose Bowl, which is what many call the Greatest college football game of all time. Whereas Vince Young versus a 40 or 20 something game win streak, Matt Leiner, Reggie Bush, Lindell White, they made a 30 for 30 about it. Check it out, highly recommended. And this is going to be fun to watch to see the environment in Los Angeles Memorial Coliseum. And it's going to be a lot of fun to watch. Okay, more. Another follow-up from last week. MLB streaks, they're still going. Or one of them is still going. The Indians, the Cleveland Indians, have a 19-game win streak. Unbelievable. I haven't seen something like that actually since 2002. The A is 20-game famously depicted in Moneyball win streak. And this if they surpass that streak or if they tie that streak with a win tonight, in Detroit, or playing Detroit at 4:10, This would be the longest streak since the 1935 Chicago Cubs, who won 21 games. And with this streak, the Cleveland Indians have now the best record in the American League, and they're only four games back of the Dodgers, who we'll talk about in a minute, for the best record in the league. So when do you want to get hot? September. The Indians were already a playoff team. Now they're looking to be one of the favorites They've already surpassed last year's 14-game win streak. They've just passed Houston for the best record in the American League, and they're looking good for the postseason. Meanwhile, the Los Angeles Dodgers have an 11-game losing streak. It's kind of flown under the radar a little bit, but they really have. And this was coming off, I believe, a four or five-game losing streak before their last win. So in a really bad spell, and this includes being swept this 11-game losing streak by the Padres, the D-backs, and the Rockies, all division opponents. And especially if you're facing teams that you've played recent, or that you play a lot, and they're in a series with the Giants now, they lost last night at about 5 a.m. Eastern time because of a rain delay, this could be a postseason preview because the D-backs are already in the playoffs, the Rockies are in the playoff hunt, so they could end up, the Dodgers, if they get the one seed in the or if they have the best record in the National League, they could face one of these teams in a wild card. So it's worth to see. And interestingly, is this a temporary lull for the Dodgers, or is this going to carry on? Because they're famous for their postseason struggles, particularly their starting pitching in Clayton Kershaw. So they have a deeper rotation now after picking up Hugh Darvish. But it'll be interesting to see if they can regroup before the playoffs. And part of the reason this streak has happened is because their bats have gone quiet. They've only averaged two and a half runs a game in this 11-game losing streak, and the league average is 4.1 runs per game. So the bats are not hitting, and they need to look for a spark before the postseason. All right, with those done, it's time for the quick take. If you've forgotten, I go check on the breaking news, see what's up, talk about it. Here we go. Danica Patrick's NASCAR future is in doubt as she won't return to Stuart Haas Racing. Now, I'm not a racing expert. i one of those people who don't find people driving around a track a bunch of times appealing, though I get that people do. Danica Patrick today announced on Facebook that she would not be returning to her racing sponsor, lineup Club. And this is interesting because Danica Patrick has been a... Gate, or not a gateway, but she's been the first most prominent female race car driver. And she's set a lot example for a lot of young girls. So even though she hasn't done as well recently, she's currently in 28th place in the standings. It'd be cool if she could continue to keep racing, unless of course the spark isn't there. That's not fun for her and she should retire if she feels she should. But if I were in her camp, I would encourage her to keep going, not only for her, but for the legacy she leaves. So that was a pretty quick, quick take. But that marks the end of the 10th episode of The Long Takes. Let's keep it going for at least 10 more. Don't forget, you could get shouted out in the podcast, probably at the beginning of the podcast, and you can interact with the show and ask questions on multiple places. The patron feed, check it out, patreon.com slash the spelled P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com. Check out the website, thewongtakes.wixsite.com slash the Wixsite is spelled W-I-X-S-I-T-E. And email the pod directly at thewongtakes at gmail.com. Ask questions, comments, concerns, questions about sports, questions about life, questions about whatever. And I will try to answer them on the podcast if I can give you a good answer. If you ask me a question about sports, I could probably give you a good answer. Anyway, thanks for listening, and I'll see you next week.